Hello everyone and welcome to part two of October's Beer News. So uh, I don't know if you've watched part one or you remember what was said in part one but this is now part two and there's a slightly kind of counter argument to some of the, the stories that were reported in part one. Not intentionally, it's just how things have worked out. But before we start there's also a, an extra story that I want to kind of mention and it's about the Qingdao um, Chinese beer where it appeared that there was a little video on uh, social media going around of some sort of worker who doesn't actually work for the brewery and neither does the person who was filming working for the brewery. But in one of their kind of ingredients kind of uh, tanks, in other words, prior to uh, fermentation and everything else, but one of the ingredients tanks that was empty at the time but would have been filled up with ingredients later on that day. There was this worker in a hard hat, urinating, actually. He climbed over the wall into the tank, had a piss, and then buggered off out of it. Um, obviously, apparently, the Chinese authorities and Qingdao were basically saying that uh, <laughs> they've uh, isolated this tank and it's kind of uh, been closed off and everything else pending investigations and criminal investigations and all this type of stuff. But it has a bit of had a negative effect on Jingtao's kind of, uh, uh, how would you say it? It's going to pop out. Oh, fuck, I'm in the dark now. What the fuck's happened there? Oh, bollocks, I'm in the dark now. Shit, that's not going right. Right, anyway. Is that working? No, no, we're in the dark. Oh, bollocks. There we go. We've got one light on. Jesus, that's gone well, isn't it? <laughs> I'm going to keep that in because that made it fun. <laughs> I don't know why I touched that thinking. That plug's hanging out. And I thought I'll push it back in and for some strange reason it tripped everything. <laughs> Quality. <laughs> I'm going to keep that in. <laughs> oh. That, that, that's just gold, that is. Yeah. If you didn't believe I was an idiot and you needed confirmation, then I'd now provided it. <laughs> Fabulous. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> as I was saying, it has had an effect, a negative effect on Jean Tower's kind of uh, reputation, um, especially outside of China. And it's also affected their uh, trading of some of their shares as well. Um whether it has a long-term effect or issue um god knows but again it, it's not helping the case that this has happened and it's been filmed and people are thinking well what hasn't been filmed that's happened in the past and things like this and why would somebody want to do this and how did they get away with it and let's be totally honest if it wasn't putting up on social media by the person who filmed it, then nobody would have known. And that's probably where the biggest alarm bells is because this wasn't highlighted by Xingtao themselves. They only found out about it after seeing it on social media. If it hadn't been posted on social media and hadn't been filmed, or it could have been filmed and not posted on social media, then this would not have basically come to the attention of Xingtao. And yeah, that beer would have went out with 
which is kind of ironic in that type of stuff because I do say that a lot of these cheap lagers there are kind of piss water. Well, <laughs> you see where I'm going with this. We're starting, the irony of it, we're starting to get the kind of confirmation. <laughs> I, was, I was right all along, you know. <laughs> well, I think my, must be a lot of strangers pissing in uh, the carling and uh, Estelle Artois. Um, tanks. That's utter press water. But anyway, I just thought it would be quite interesting to chuck in there. So this is uh, been released. It's on, you might have heard about it or not. If, if you haven't, then they're on the BBC and things like that. So yeah, it, it's kind of quite interesting. And also quite sad as well that it's not a good look for the beer industry. Well, that's happening in China. I mean, that beer sold in the UK and throughout Europe. It's sold in America. Now, some of it can be made under license, but some of it can also be coming from China and things like that. And of course, if you're in holding Asia and you see these beers in Tao and things like that, well, there's a good chance that's probably coming from the actual Chinese brewery. So again, mm -hmm. so yeah, it's... Uh, Reputation has been affected, and uh, I'm, I'm sure in the long run, their sales will probably be affected as well. But on to the first one. Now, the first one is apparently a bit of a complaint. Now, apparently, Oktoberfest visitors slam eye-watering price of beer at World Famous Festival. Oktoberfest is the world's largest folk festival, attracting 6 million people. This year, a lot of revelers say that they will be missing it due to price increases. And one ex-user, I formerly known as Twitter, described it as an alcoholic Disneyland. So there you go. What do you think of that? Not bad, actually. Not bad. Anyway, let's delve deeper. Oktoberfest is the world's largest folk festival, celebrated for its famous beer event and travelling carnival. The iconic event runs from mid-September to around the first Sunday in October. It's known to attract over 6 million people from around the world. It didn't take place in 2020 and 2021 due to COVID restrictions. But return to the city of Munich or Munchen, in 2022. However, this year a lot of revellers are giving it a miss due to how expensive it's become, with one ex-user calling it an alcoholic Disneyland. Um, a one litre stein of beer will reportedly set you back between €12.60 or £10.92 and €14.90 or £12.92, which is a 6% price increase from last year which is quite a lot but also you've got to remember that prices have gone up quite a lot from this time last year to now and in, in lots of different markets food prices have gone up uh, fuel prices especially on the basis of energy like gas electricity and heating oil um Beer and alcohol prices have gone up. Now, I'm talking about from the UK, so I wouldn't imagine other countries in Europe to be much different just because of the, the present climate we're in. 
Um, but one American user wrote, I contemplated going last year just because I wanted to visit Germany since I live in Europe now, and it's way, way closer than when I was in the States. But holy hell, researching it seemed so damn expensive that it was like an alcoholic Disneyland or Disney World. So there you go. Uh, another added, just crazy expensive and unaffordable for the common people. It's not Oktoberfest, it's upper class fest. Someone else agreed, tweeting, I have never been to Oktoberfest. I will probably never go there either. It's too expensive for me. Now, I've been to Oktoberfest twice. Twice. Once in the 90s and once in the early noughties. Not because I was planning to, I just basically was in Germany um, that week. And I knew I was going to be finishing up in Germany at the end of the week. And instead of flying to Brussels for the weekend, I thought, well, I'll just stay in Germany and I'll head over towards the festival. And those were the days when it was a lot easier to get in and you didn't either have to book or get there early and things like that to get a seat in some of the kind of... Uh, beer tents and things like that so it was a lot easier to get to and get in and everything else and I didn't find it overly expensive I mean I would probably say that some of the beer prices were a little bit higher than the beer killers run about kind of München or Munich but not by that much to be totally honest and uh I think obviously you've got to take into account it's not just the beer, it's the environment and uh, the experience as well with the, with the bands and everything else and the singing and there is a kind of theatre to it, it's not just sitting there drinking beers and of course you do drink quite a lot of beer and it's good fun and you'll make a lot of friends on that night and everything else but you will also you get an experience and it's all together, it's not just about the beer. Maybe now, yeah, maybe it's a bit bit more pricey for the beers, but you've also got to take into account the present situation in the world and how we're all being affected in lots of different ways with price increases. Um, I've got to say in the 90s it was a bit different. When I was there in the 90s, it was a little bit more low-level than in the noughties. It was starting to maybe ramp up a bit in the noughties and of course it's really ramped up now. But in the 90s it was a strange one because I went there and I didn't have a clue what everything and uh, I met these Germans and uh, they kind of took us round not only the different beer tents for Oktoberfest but also took us round some of the different beer kellers as well. They were also having specialist beers because of it and they showed us a, a different side to Oktoberfest that I'd be honest I would never have known about and never have uh, experienced and I'll be totally honest some of the beer killers away from the actual festival itself was actually more fun and it was quite strange that because when I was there in the noughties and I did go to Oktoberfest I was only there until kind of mid-afternoon and then I went away back to the hotel, had a little sleep, had some num-nums and then went back out to these beer kellers again and they were exactly the same and yeah they were great fun and I actually enjoy some of these beer kellers more 
than the actual Oktoberfest and yeah the beers were cheaper but the experience was a lot nicer and yeah really party I mean you think it's party at the actual beer tents in Oktoberfest um kind of say well if you go into the kind of more traditional beer killers in, in Munich then oh Jesus oh yeah I'll be totally honest, especially in the 90s, I was in an absolute shit state with it. That's the, I was a, Jesus God. I was pissing beer. Those were the days. But anyway, back to this. Um, someone else agreed, tweeting that I've never been to Oktoberfest and I probably will never go either. It's too expensive for me. A spokesman from Oktoberfest said the beverage prices are not set by the city of Munich. However, as the organisers of Oktoberfest, the city reviews the prices quoted by the restaurants to ensure they are reasonable. So, under present climate, they're kind of saying that, yeah, they're maybe slightly higher than maybe some of the beer kellers and things like that, and the kind of standard beer prices, but they're not that far away because I think everybody's suffering with the beer prices. Although, we were getting German beers there and they were £2.50. A bottle for 500 so there you go and there are festival beers as well okay they're not freshly fresh festival beers and everything else but you've got to kind of look at it from that point but yeah but for this purpose a comparison is made with the prices of large-scale catering establishments in the Munich city area these prices currently range from roughly about 7 euros 10 to 12 euros 20 per litre of export beer the festival confirmed that price can reach up to fourteen euros ninety outside of the Munich city area. So, in the festival area, yes, you're talking about almost fifteen euros, ten euro cents of fifteen euros. And like I say, the beer kellers, the average is maybe about seven or eight euros. So, you're talking about almost half the price. You know, if you're looking at it from fourteen ninety euros to seven ten euros, then yes, it's it's less than half price. So maybe, maybe there is a slight point to that thinking, but I'll be totally honest. Yeah, going to the Oktoberfest and having a couple of beers in the tent, okay, that's fine. I wouldn't make a, a big day of it. Yeah, the, the travelling shows are okay, they're nothing brilliant. The food, again, you'll get better food at the beer kellers than you would actually at Oktoberfest. So I'll be totally honest, save your pennies. Don't go there for num-nums. Go there, have a few beers take in the atmosphere, take some photographs, everything else, and then uh, get the hell out and uh, go to the, in towards the kind of city centre, go to some of the beer kellers in there and have a right good Saturday or Sunday night in there or even a Friday night and enjoy that. It's going to be a lot cheaper. You're going to meet a lot of nice Germans. You're going to have a really good time. And, uh, yeah, somebody will take you under their wing and... Uh, show you the kind of drinking spots and the nightlife and everything else and you'll have a cracking time and it won't cost you anyone near the money that you'd probably be paying at Oktoberfest. Me, if I were going to Oktoberfest now, I'll be totally honest, I'd only go there for a couple of hours, you know, two or three hours max, and then that'd be it. I'd be out of there and in the city centre for the rest of the, the day and night and things like that. That's uh, my best advice. 
because it is, I suppose, probably it, it is a kind of slightly kind of uh, theme park almost nowadays. And uh, there was a kind of theme park started to get into the noughties. When was that? That would be 2003. I was there was the last time. And yeah, it started to get slightly theme parky then. Not as bad as it is now, going by from what people I know that have been there since. And they're saying, you know, it's kind of ridiculous now. And in the 90s, well, I think probably the 90s was probably the best time to kind of go 80s and 90s. Um, but starting in the noughties, was kind of changing. And I noticed the changes. Um, now when was it? it? was about five years. Yeah, it would be 1997, 1998, one of the two. So about five or six years difference between me going the first time and then the second time. And I was starting to notice a difference. It was starting to become a bit more commercialised than everything else, which, of course, unfortunately, these things happen. But what do you think? What's your view on Oktoberfest? Do you think it's uh, a worthwhile weekend or time away drinking? Have you drunk in the beer killers of Munich? And, and what do you think of them? Do you think they're a uh, better value for money and, and more fun? I do. Um, than the actual Oktoberfest kind of beer tents. Now, on to the next story. So we have a... You swiggy please. Mm. Molson Coors moving beyond beer. One of the world's largest breweries try again. One of the world's largest breweries has said it's moving beyond beer as young consumers look to different types of drinks, including low and non-alcoholic products. Well, I've got a bit. I would, I'm not surprised that Monson Coors is moving beyond beer because, I'll be totally honest, I thought they'd already done that years ago. Because some of the shit that they pass out as beer, I'm thinking, well, I think that's beyond beer. It sure still doesn't taste like beer, and, uh, yeah. But anyway, so there's a kind of irony there, from my point of view. Um, the statement was made by CEO Gavin Hattersley, and comes as the sober October campaign has commenced with an increasing number of people looking to drink low and non-alcoholic products on a semi-permanent or even permanent basis. According to the Portman Group, around one in three people are semi-regular drinkers of low and no-alcohol goods, although the majority of non-drinkers, 58%, have never drunk such a product. Now, I can understand that. It's a bit of a strange one. But I've actually had... I met up with a friend. When I was up in Scotland recently, I met up with a friend and went out for a, something to eat. Now, he'd had a, an, a night on the beer previously. I just had a couple of whiskeys that evening, but um, he had a night on the beer. And when we met up, he wasn't really in the state. Didn't really want to drink. So he started off with... Uh, with the fruit juice and then coffee. I had a couple of beers, but I wasn't really that bored about it because I'll be totally honest, the beer options were absolutely crap. I'll be totally <laughs> really well crap. And I had two pints of Belhaven and I'm Belhaven best and I'm thinking, Jesus God. Um this bloody beer just keeps coming back. The name Belhaven just keeps coming back to haunt me. If you actually watch the Scottish series you understand that seriously and yeah I was totally honest I mean, I'll, 
after the second Bellhaven, I was watching him finish his coffee with fucking envy of thinking, oh, lucky bastard. Ah, because it was just, oh, no, seriously. But, yeah, um, to cut a long story short, we decided to, no, oh, he, he, he thought we had something to eat with our drinks. We had a meal, and we were still kind of chin-wagging, because we were, I think it was, God, how many years? Was it five years, maybe, since we'd, we'd met up and spoke? And it was 2019, and of course it was 2002, yeah, uh, probably, yeah. Um, almost five years. So, yeah, what happened was, he said, well, what's the the Guinness zero like, the non-alcoholic Guinness? Because he drinks Guinness, so he does. And... Uh, he was asking me what it was like. I said, it's not too bad. I'll be totally honest. It's not great, but I'm not a big Guinness fan anyway, and I think that affects it. But as I said to him, as an honest answer, I said, well, out of the different non-alcoholic beer versions I've tried in my non-alcoholic series, I would probably say that Guinness was the kind of closest to the kind of more original alcoholic version. And uh, whether you're into it, alcoholic version or not it's not so far away it's it's drinkable so he thought well fine i'll give it a crack so i thought all right fine i'll join you because i'm not really enjoying the, the bell here there's a surprise because it was just piss water so yeah so we had a, a few um non-alcoholic guinnesses and it was fine i mean he didn't put us over the limit i was wasn't driving anyway so it wasn't a problem for me but there was nothing really there that was kind of floating my boat and uh, I thought well I might as well just join you in it um, but he said yeah as I said to him I said, it's it's slightly kind of watery and mouthful compared to the original and maybe a bit less in the flavour and maybe a little bit of slight, slightly more sweetness as I said to him but at the end of the day, it wasn't that bad. And I'll be totally honest, the non-alcoholic Guinness was better than the Bellhaven. So there you go. So that's what the point I'm trying to get to is that it is a viable product if it's done right or kind of closer to the kind of more originals. So apparently, according to the Portman Group, what's it... Um, but the general movement away from regular consumption of higher ABV beer has caused one of the world's biggest brewers to reflect. We're moving beyond beer. We're moving into non-alcoholic products, whether those are energy drinks, whether there are non-alcoholic beers, hastily told CNBC. Hastily said consumers in their 20s are focused on health and well-being, and this change in behaviour was playing into the company's overall strategy. The brewer now includes Miller Lite, Topo Chico Hard Seltzer, and Coors Light within its range, and is launching a non-alcoholic version of their Blue Moon, which is a kind of supposedly Belgian wheat peer piss water, in time for the annual Dry January campaign, which is similar to Sober October, and promotes a month-long abstinence from alcohol. He said, as long as it tastes good, which again is a bit of ironic because most of the beers, in fact, nearly all the beers that come from most and cures, doesn't taste good. But anyway, 
and consumers will drink the products. This year, the brewery has also launched a non-alcoholic version of Staropramen, one of its most popular beer ranges. <sighs> Jesus, God. Well, if it comes along and I'll see it, I'll review it, but seeing as in the UK, the UK brewery Staropramen is kind of piss water, it's really a non-event then I wouldn't hold out much hope for the non-alcoholic version because I very much doubt that's going to be any better. So anyway, but what do you think? Do you think it's a case as though that non-alcoholic beers have a place in the world? Whereas, I'll be totally honest, I don't know. I mean, the Guinness thing, okay, that was fine, but I'd be totally honest, would I have had the non-alcoholic Guinness if my mate wasn't having it? Probably not. I would probably still keep persevering with the Bellhaven and just feel disappointed with every mouthful. Uh, but yeah, and we did do some of them, and I'll be told some of them were just dreadful. Some of them were just unfermented wort, watered down. It was just seriously, that hadn't. You, you can taste some of them hadn't even gone through a fermentation process. And let's be totally honest. Unless it's gone through fermentation. If you've gone through fermentation and you take the alcohol out from the other side, that's fine. But if it's never gone through fermentation, then you can't say a non-alcoholic beer because it's never been turned into beer in the first place. It's just water that's watered down. And that's one of the problems I found. Other ones are just sickly sweet. That's what I found. So I think as a case, maybe it's better to make other drinks that are non-alcoholic in their own right rather than trying to make non-alcoholic beers and a lot of albuterolins in a lot of ways just don't work. I mean, the rule is they're a bit of a disaster and they're not that very, you know, they're not good. There's the odd exception that are a bit better, like, say, Guinness um, Zero. But a lot of them are just a disaster. That, that's my view. And unless you can start making better non-alcoholic beers, then I don't see them as a viable product. I think it's better to go to a soft drink or maybe have a cup of tea or a coffee or, or fruit juice or something like that. There's better non-alcoholic drinks available. If you want the beer flavour, then wait till you can drink and just have a beer. It is my kind of recommendation. But anyway, quite interesting. Right. Now here's a kind of counteracting one. Now previously in part one we were talking about craft beers in the US and globally and expect such a, a continued rise in sales and everything else and revenue and it's so wonderful and it's growing and all this. But here's a counter argument that people are drinking less craft beer. Here's why it says Brewers Association. So after a decade plus of unprecedented growth, which they admit, same as the previous article, the craft beer industry is starting to experience some growth pains that are well sobering. As a Forbes contributor previously reported, over the first half of 2023, craft beer sales numbers declined by 2%, according to the Brewers Association, the first time the industry saw a decline other than in 2020 since these stats have been tracked. In one way, the reasons for craft beer's diminishing sales are complex, and range from still lingering pandemic 
disruptions to an intense growth rate in recent years that was never sustainable and from general inflation to lifestyle trends around healthier living. But in another sense, the reason for the rough patch craft beer has encountered is simple. The number one reason why people say that they're drinking less craft beer isn't because they're watching their waistline or watching their wallet. It's because they are drinking more of some other type of beverage alcohol said Bart Watson, Chief Economist of the Brewers Association, during a webinar discussion that discussing the results of the Brewers Association mid-year survey. Other reasons respondents said they were drinking less beer included opting for a healthier lifestyle overall, cutting back on overall calorie consumption, drinking more non-alcoholic beverages, the economy and more. But these other concerns were at most half as common as drinking other types of alcohol, according to the survey. So, there you go. So, you've had a report in part one talking about, well, the future's bright, you know, and the sky's the limit from the craft beer kind of point of view. And it's going to be good year-on-year growth all the way up to uh, 2032. They were saying it's going to be great and wonderful and expect sales to double by then and revenues to double and everything else. But then again, you're now getting a report saying, well, right now, things aren't rosy and people aren't drinking craft beer and they're drinking other beers instead. Now, as I said, as the case is though, in previous videos, one of the biggest problems is that craft beer they charge a premium price for. And under the present climate where, let's be totally honest, people are tightening their belts and prices are going up and everything else, that um, people are now drinking other drinks that are still alcoholic and everything else. Now it could still be beer, it could be non-beer alcohol products. But they're looking for better value for money and they're not getting that in the craft beer industry and we've also had big craft beer brewers like as I've said before Brewdog who produced a nitro stout with no crazy I mean they broke their mould because they're always liked with their stouts is adding silly flavours and concoctions and everything else where they just did a standard stout nitro pour and have been promoting that in the Black Heart. We've got coming up is a Shore Leave, the Dunham Amber Ale, which is again is more traditional. And again, the prices are away from their gaudy can brigade options because every time they put in a brightly coloured can, they're one three fifty plus for it. Whereas, let's be totally honest, the Black Heart have been a pound a can if you're buying it at a four pack in Tesco's. So there you go. If you won't vie for money in it for, as a brew dog customer, then you better drink the Black Heart traditional stout than any of the other products because it's only a pound a can. And there you go. And I think the show leave is obviously not as cheap, but again, is nowhere near the kind of £3.50 mark for a, for a can and sold in a bottle. But we'll cover more of that in the future with when we do the review. So, yeah. So what do you think? Do you think 
Which which of the two stories do you think is more accurate? Do you think that the the craft beer industry is going to keep on growing and it's going to be, you know, sky's the limit and everything's going to go through the roof and it's going to be wonderful? Or do you believe more of a story like this that, yeah, things are struggling and that's why craft breweries are kind of changing their their strategy and adjusting their products to kind of try and get more revenue in from other markets because other um, factors are affecting the craft beer industry that people aren't really buying it. So what do you think? Let us know down below whether you think craft beer is going to go through the roof or whether it's really starting to struggle. And we also got to look in the bases. We've lost a few craft breweries as well. Quite a few of them have shut over the last 12, 18 months as well. And why are they shutting if the sky's the limit and everything else? So yeah, bit of a strange one. Now, here's one that's a kind of it's a strange story to me because it's kind of a beer that's kind of close to my heart and I, I, I really don't know what to make of it. Here's that. Got back with his bloody exhaust again. Big board bill. <laughs> Seriously, for fuck's sake, it's only an Astra. Fucking park it and fucking switch it off. How many bites of cherry does it need? Anyway, next story is Thixton's launches. Own peculiar IPA. Don't know if we could try to cash in on a name. TNR Thixons has launched the first ever brand extension of its iconic Old Peculiar Ale and its most in its in its almost two hundred year what's that? In its almost two hundred year history. That doesn't really make much sense, does it? In its I know what you're trying to say, it's not quite two hundred years, but it says I mean it says and it's 200 year history. I mean, let's be totally honest, it's not that far away. Adding an IPA to the range. First brewed in Marsham in the early 19th century, Thixton's Old Peculiar is the flagship brand of the family run company. Its name pays tribute to the unique ecclesiastical status of the town as a court of the peculiar established in medieval times. The new beer is the brewery's first bottled IPA made with all British ingredients. It comes in at 5.1 ABV. Now, we've got an IPA coming up from Green King that we have um, in the very near future. So, I think we'll try to cash in on the name, to be totally honest. They'll try to think that, you know, if you're into the kind of old peculiar, you're going to like this. And instead of trying to create a new product and a new brand round about it, it's easier to kind of try and piggyback onto that and maybe open up the old peculiar name and brand to drinkers of the craft fraternity and, and maybe try and make it a bit more appealing to them. But, well, if they try it, they maybe like this IPA, then they might want to try old peculiar and, and things like that. Um, I don't see how this is really going to work because all peculiars, you can get any further away from an IPA and it's quite sweet and everything else. And yeah, it just doesn't really kind of follow. And if you're into IPAs and you're not really going to be drinking all peculiar, 
and you've been taking a bowl because you're not really going to be drinking IPAs. So, um, I don't really see where the connection is. But what I will say is, if I see it about, I will get some and I will review it and I'll give you an honest review. And I do like all peculiar. It's one of my session beers, especially in the winter. And uh, I'll be honest, if the IPA is a load of piss, then by God, I will slate it. If it's nice and everything else, I will treat it. But again, I don't think they really should be kind of piggybacking onto the old peculiar kind of brand name. I think they should kind of have kept it separate. But I can understand why they're doing it. But I don't really kind of agree with it. What do you think? Do you think it's a good idea to kind of piggyback onto the old peculiar brand name and come out with an IPA? And uh, what do you think? Do you think Dixons will make a good IPA? Because I honestly really don't know. Seeing that they've never really done it before. I'm not saying that they're incapable, but the problem is, is there going to be any kind of tones or kind of... A, I mean, if you watch the Green King IP one, there is kind of the review that I've done in it. There is kind of links to Abbott Ale. Now, will this IPA have any links in flavour tones to Old Peculiar? And if it does, how's that going to work? Um, that being a... A dark premium ale. Um, yeah, and, and quite sweet as well. So, yeah, and at 5.1, I would expect it to be a bit kind of on the rich side. And I would say that the IP coming up from Green King um, that I've done, uh, there is a richness to that as well. But anyway, let us know what you think. I'm kind of dubious about it. I'm kind of dubious. Right. The English grown Harlequin, Jester and Olicana hops deliver a zesty fruitiness with a full-bodied multi undertone. It finishes with a pronounced hop forward flourish. This is what the flavours are described of it. As a brewery with almost 200 years of experience, we have never rested on our laurels and felt like now was the the time to create a brand new bottled IPA, said Simon Thixon, Joint Managing Director of TNR Thixons. When looking to extend the Peculiar range, the huge global interest in the India Pale Ale style made Peculiar IPA the perfect choice. Yeah, maybe looking trying to kind of jump on the bandwagon. It's kind of more like it, you know, we'll try to cash in and maybe get a wee bit of share for yourself. That's what it feels more like. Um, we wanted to capture the heritage of the style whilst also creating a product fit for this iconic name that showcases our brewing prowess. The result is an IPA of outstanding smoothness, flavour and character. We hope our peculiar IPA will introduce fans of all peculiar to something new and in turn lead fans of IPAs to other beers in our range. So yeah, I think they're trying to kind of use it as a seed product, maybe. Um, I don't really see, because I, I watch the Green King IPA review that's coming up very soon. And I think I'll cover a lot of what I'm thinking about this product in that. And I think a few answers will be obviously kind of the same from that product 
to this one and I think there's going to be quite similar kind of reactions to it in flavour wise and everything else and flavour tones so watch that and let me know what you think because uh, I can see some similarities coming on with that I could be completely wrong but something tells me that I'm not but anyway, let me know what you think. I'm very dubious about this, whether it's a, a good idea or not. And I, I kind of, I'm kind of pandering over to not really. Right, so this should be the last story. And it's about beers brewed with European hops face uncertain future. European aroma hops are facing challenges that will impact on the flavour of beer in years to come, according to new research. A study from the Czech Academy of Sciences, researchers have warned that unless swift adaptations are developed, European hops will be increasingly difficult to grow due to climate change affecting yields and alpha acid content. The researchers outlined that Europe will experience a drop of 4 to 18% in traditional aroma hop yields by 2050 plus a 20 to 31 percent fall in alpha acids. The research which looked at hop yields and their alpha acid content in great detail identified how both have already experienced a steady decline since the 1970s and a pattern that is set to continue. Recent reports outlined how in Europe high quality aroma hops are restricted to small regions because of their once ideal climate and environmental conditions. But as warmer and drier seasons are expected, so too will be the beginning of unknown changes to growing and flavour profiles of these hops. The researchers are now calling for rapid inventive adaptations to find a solution, but have still lamented that much more scientific investigation is needed for this to be carried out. Now, aroma hops plays a big thing. I mean, um, the Czech beer, I mean, you've heard of uh, a mother, probably, YouTube viewers going around about Saz Hops, Saz Hops, Saz Hops. Well, Saz Hops is a very famous um, aroma hop. It doesn't really give you bitterness and things like that. It's all kind of more aroma, kind of uh, um, what we call flavour profiles. But same in Germany, they use quite a lot of aroma hops, and a lot of beers throughout Europe use more aromatic hops. Um, and yeah, one of the big problems, apart from the alpha acid yields, is also that they're ripening a lot earlier, so the harvesting is becoming earlier, and again. That's changing the flavour profiles because as a good example, that's why we have an early um, SARS hop and we have a late SARS hop. And the late SARS hop is now becoming um, more popular within the, the Czech beer kind of uh, brewing recipes and styles is because it's giving different flavour profiles from the early harvest SARS hops. And uh, yeah. That's now becoming a bit of a problem because they're all becoming kind of earlier down the line. And because they're ripening earlier and then being harvested earlier, you are getting uh, slightly changes in the flavour profiles. So 
it makes it more difficult to make people's kind of favourite beers and traditional beers in different countries in Europe with the same flavour profiles, not because of you can only adjust the recipe so much and then sometimes you just have to accept that yes the ingredients have changed enough that there is going to be a knock-on effect in the final flavour of the product of the beer um so yes potentially that could be a, a big issue and i don't really see how they're going to, going to change that um whether the climate change thing is going to be permanent or not well who knows and obviously is it going to get worse so again this could basically mean that there's going to be big changes in flavor profiles of your favorite kind of european beers especially in based on more kind of lager style beers but there is a but but all is not lost and british hops may be the answer in the uk we have additional capacity for new hops as well as the right climate to get the best yields for aromatic hop growing could the uk be the new center for european hops and that is uh, a potential option because while climate change is affecting these traditional aromatic hops producing the same quality of hops and yield um, in Europe climate change has also opened up that while we can obviously still brew our traditional or grow our traditional hops for our ale making maybe not so much in Kent and things like that but further up the country um, in more cooler parts of the UK um, we can still make them with the changes that are happening down in Kent and other areas of the UK with climate change is uh, opening up these areas for growing more kind of European style aromatic hops which again could then basically mean that uh, countries like Germany, Czech Republic and, and other places can continue to brew their style of beers with the same type of uh, flavour profiles but not from locally grown hops but from hops from the UK so again as one kind of door shuts another one opens and potentially that could be uh, a situation the only problem is though is because of how beer is brewed in the UK and how hops are done and everything else that hops production has kind of dropped in the UK so there is plenty of room for new capacity um, to come in the problem is though that over the years a lot of these areas for hop growing has uh, been lost just because traditional family farms have kind of shut up shop or decided to look at other um farming areas for revenue and things like that and that give them a, a better yield and uh better revenue so maybe they might return back to hops if there's going to be a better market for european still aromatic hops there might be or maybe they've left that kind of business for good and quite happy to continue with the business that they've now moved into some have been lost completely and have been 
these hop growing uh, farms have been redeveloped for other pursuits and functionality. So again, what would happen? This is a situation that's already saying that yes, we can grow them here, but unfortunately with our style of brewing and everything else, some of the more kind of traditional productions have been lost and uh, it's been easier and cheaper to buy in dried hops from abroad and especially in the craft beer industry and also the main kind of beer conglomerates and their piss water have been using more kind of hop extracts and everything else so they're not even using a natural uh, hop product never mind whether it's dry hopped or whether it's pellets or whatever or things like that so um what do you think? Do you think this could be an opportunity for the UK? I think it could be, but unfortunately it just depends if the infrastructure is there to take advantage of it. And I think we've lost quite a lot of it. And some of it's been down to breweries cutting corners. And some of it's been down to trends wanting kind of more international style hops and don't really want the kind of local kind of traditional British hops and they're kind of old and tired and all these kind of more American based and things like that or new world based hops is, is far more important in the future so again what's your view on that what do you think do you think that uh, with climate change it's going to affect European beers unless something's done about it and could this be an opportunity for British hop growers to kind of take advantage and kind of help by bringing more kind of European style or growing more kind of European style hops for the European market. What do you think? I'm not sure. I think it could be, but again, it just depends what state the actual uh, hop growing industry in the UK is like. Because from what I understand and what I know about it, it has been dwindling over the years and it's a shadow of its former self. I don't know whether it could recover and revert back and build back up. I don't know if there's even a desire. I don't know how would European brewers feel brewing with hops from the UK rather than from local um, growers and local sources. I don't know. Again, it also do with the kind of the attitude. Would Czech brewers want to make Czech beers with hops from the UK? Same in Germany and other countries. Do they want to kind of stick to the more kind of traditional options and allow the beer flavours to change accordingly? Or do they want to stick with the kind of flavour profiles they've got and maybe buy in um, hops from abroad? Who knows? So again, watch this space, but something's going to have to happen because I don't see things are going to be changing or reverting back to what they used to be. So something has to change. So either the flavour of the final product has to change and they keep using the local stuff, but the flavour's changing. Or they start looking at maybe importing foreign-grown ones and is the UK a viable option? Climate-wise, it is. Whether or not the infrastructure is still there, 
take advantage of that as a different story. So again, watch this space, and it could be quite interesting. I think this story is going to kind of grow and grow, and I think there's going to be many different kind of facets and uh, different reports coming in over the years as they try and find solutions for it. But I don't think there's going to be one clear-cut solution. I think there's going to be many different options, and it just depends what suits certain brewers. So I'd watch in on that one. I think that story's got uh, a lot of life still left in it, and I think we're going to get uh, a lot of reports and updates in the future. So let us know what you think. Also let you give us any comments, what you think of any other parts of the beer news. Also what you think of what's been reported in part one and part two. And, and what do you think of that? Um, and uh, what's your kind of views between the kind of counter arguments of one story saying that craft beer is going through the roof and it's going to keep on doing that. And another report saying, well, it's not. It's going downturn and it's going to get worse. Um, what do you think of craft breweries starting to kind of make more traditional style beers and trying to kind of have more of a kind of a foothold in the kind of more traditional beer market? And what do you think of more traditional breweries trying to kind of spread into the kind of craft beer market and trying to get an audience there? So again, there's kind of one side and the other and everything else. So. It's kind of interesting because we do have kind of contrasting reports and viewpoints from part one and part two. So, uh, what do you think of people pissing in, in beer? Do you think it's a good thing? Do you think it's a future for it? Anyway, thanks for watching. <laughs> Cheers. And bye for now. <laughs>